Man, that's a great song, Sam, the, the team did for us. Uh, remind us of the, the role of money in our life, and you can't let that get out of control. Uh, a great song, almost as good as getting an hour extra sleep last night, wasn't it? Man, that feels good. I think I'm going to do it again next Saturday night. That'll feel good. Uh, boy, we always want to take a moment and welcome everybody in the Centrum and online with us. Would you welcome in into the room right now? So glad to have every one of you guys here with us. It's great. I was uh, begin a new series, as Andy said. Uh, ben did an awesome job last weekend finishing up the series. Nathan's going to be back next weekend. And here we are uh, talking about, for three weeks, we'll talk about being rich and how being rich has some other uh, implications besides what we might think it really does. And this particular weekend is on being content. So uh, it, it, it's kind of an elusive thing. It's hard to say we're always content. I remember the last time I preached oh, a few weeks ago, I had just begun with a little bronchitis. Now I'm in the upper respiratory stage, all right? So you can whine about that or you can just kind of talk until you can't talk anymore. And how many think it would be an act of God if we got out within an hour? How many know that probably isn't going to happen? Okay, yeah, well, we'll do our best to kind of get hopping on that. But if you have a Bible, want to turn to 1 Timothy 6. That's the main context for these next three weeks that we'll talk about before we get to Thanksgiving time and then Christmas. And boy, it all seems to go so fast. But what, what was this uh, particular uh, uh, focus this weekend, it begins with Paul, who's an apostle, and he's, this is called a pastoral letter, if you will a pastoral letter to let Timothy, a young pastor, know how important it is to let the people that, he's, that are under his care know what to do and how to live and how to not be affected by the culture, not be affected by all the, the earthly things where we want, we feel we need to gather and accumulate, but to be content in our relationship with God, knowing he knows what's best for us. Now, you have to talk about money a little bit anytime you'll talk about being content. And there's a few verses about money that you'll, you'll uh, see on the screen that will pop up in just a moment. Matter of fact, you probably have noticed there's no outline on that, okay? Uh, that, that is just a new, new uh, uh, approach to be able to give you an opportunity to really let God speak a little bit more to your heart, what you're sensing and what you're feeling, uh, and, and be able to just say, here's what, God, I think you're telling me, rather than kind of what you told whoever was speaking and fill in the, the blanks and check them off, but just to be able to say, this is what God is outlining, outlining in your heart. But Matthew 6, Jesus says in verse 24, he says, you got to choose. He said, you can't serve God and serve money. You can't, let one, you can't let both try to drive the bus. They can't do that. He goes on in the next verse, in the next few verses, and he says, don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. that you're, you're very concerned about all these things, but God knows what you need. And then he resolves it in verse 33 where he says, seek the kingdom of God first. And if you do that first, God will add all the things that you really need to have. Now, way back in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon gave a little bit of wisdom, and he said, you know, people that have money that long for it, it's never enough. If money is the thing that you want in life, it will never be enough. You'll always want a little bit more. And then in Proverbs chapter 4, he says, it's so important to guard your heart. Would you say that with me? Guard your heart. 
and it's, uh, your heart's a little different from mine. You're going to have different boundaries that I'm going to have. We'll have to have very similar ones, but it's going to look a little bit different. Same way like guarding and guiding our kids as you raise your kids. Now, this last week, when Nathan and Ruthie have been out of town for a week uh, on a trip, we, Sue Lynn and I, along with Ruthie's parents, uh, uh, Tony and Sherry, we tag-teamed on uh, taking care of their three kids all week long, okay? And uh, they tagged them in on the weekend. We had them all week, and we tagged Friday night. And let me tell you, that felt good. It was great. We had a ball with them, but I'm, I'm finding out that raising kids and chasing kids was a lot easier 24 than 64. I'll tell you that right now. And there's something about that each one's a little bit different. Lily at six, is, she's pretty uh, uh, compliant and, and, you know, dives in with whatever you need. You can, the defense you have on her is kind of a loose man-to-man, all right? You'll be fine. Zeke, the one-year-old, you got to go to a zone on that kid, I tell you. Where is he? I don't know. He's crawling. He's under. Where? I can't see him. And you, you hop from one place to the other. But Carter, the little man in the middle, you've got to start with a full-court press. I mean, and as soon as he gets over half court, you go to a half court trap. You make sure you get a handle on him. You see, everybody's kids are a little bit different in guiding and guarding their heart and their lives and shaping them. And all of our hearts are very similar. The guarding of the heart, Jesus says, is so, so important. And that's the foundation. That's the essence of what this elusive idea of contentment, at peace with, all right with, I'm good with, is really all about. Now, just for a working definition, contentment's not having what you want, but wanting what you have. It's being able to say, you know what, I'm okay with, with what, what I've been given. Now, in the last little half of verse 2, this is kind of a prelude as Timothy receives this word from Paul. And Paul, he leans into him. So it's going to feel pretty strong all throughout today as we look at this passage because he's, he's helping him be the best pastor that he can. He's not just talking to a few folks over here, uh, the Philippians or the Colossians or the Ephesians, and building good doctrine and the love and, and, and inspired stuff from God, of course. He, this is a one-on-one where he's saying, Timothy, you got to make this work. And here's what you got to have. Here's how you have to guard these things. So he says, and, and if you notice uh, in some of the verses, I, I capped a few words just so they'll jump off the page. Teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Just don't tell them what you know, Timothy. Just don't say, okay, did you get all 10 right on the, on the quiz? Oh, good. Good for you. Let's go on. No. Say, are you doing all these 10 things? Make sure that they learn to obey. So today we have a handful of questions. One, who's Paul talking about in this passage? What brings contentment? What keeps contentment? What kills contentment? And the tough one, are you presently content? How is your heart right now? It's really important. So question number one, who's Paul talking about as he addresses Timothy and says there's different groups that you need to be aware of? Group number one would be the false teachers. And in verses three through five, he says, here's what you notice on these people that they just don't want to hear the word of God and they're going to be around and they're going to be right here within us, but they're never going to be happy and they're going to be complaining about this. And usually it's having a different view. He said, some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings 
promote a godly life. And anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. He's talking smack already. But because he's got to make sure that Timothy is solid and strong and will defend the integrity of Scripture. He says such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicion. These people always cause troubles. Their minds are corrupt. They've turned their backs on the truth to them. Now hear this. A show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. In other words, he's saying... In the early church, if you had a good story how uh, what God had done for you, all of a sudden you're, you're in a great position. If you could communicate and kind of fool people, and many of them did, then next thing you know, you're pretty well set for life. And if you fooled a lot of folks, they'll take care of you for a while as a spiritual leader. And Paul is saying you, 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 you can't just give in to that because people would see that if I can pretend to be godly, then maybe a lot of good things will happen to me. So he warns, he confronts, and he says, you've got to be willing, Timothy, to rebuke false teachers. Now, he moves to a positive note now. And he says, take a look at this next bunch, Timothy. These are what I would call the godly pursuers in verses 4 through 6. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. In other words, he says, true godliness, that that heart that prays, knows the word of God, loves its neighbor, takes care of its family, that that person that tries to honor God is, is truthful, lives with great integrity, it also needs to have contentment because many people pursue God and want to do the right thing, but they're not happy with what, what they have. And if there's probably one thing that makes people look at us as believers, if they're not believers, is are we happy? I don't mean smiling. I mean a sense of joy even in the midst of a bad deal. How do we deal with that? So contentment is a big deal. He says, after all, we brought nothing with us. When we came into the world, we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Job had that experience where he pretty much lost everything he had. And when he did, he uttered these words, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All three phrases are really important. When he said the Lord gives, he realizes where all blessings come from. When he said the Lord takes away, he realizes who sustains every blessing. But when he said, blessed be the name of the Lord, he's saying, I'm content with what I have and what I don't have. You can't take it with you. Paul says, so if, if you have enough food and clothing, then let's Let's be content. Let's not have a real long list of what we got to have. Now, I'd heard of this next thing we have a picture on, but I'd never really seen it, so I had to Google it to see if it was really out there. And I'll be doggone. <laughs> Very few times will you see a U-Haul behind a hearse, you know, and say, uh, I, maybe they are going to try to take it with them. And Paul says, you, we all realize you can't do that, you know. Uh, one person said, I wonder how much, a real wealthy person, I wonder how much he left uh, behind. I'll tell you how much he left. He left all of it, the whole thing. You don't take it with you. We can't. Now, the third group, he, he goes back to warning again. So here he's saying, uh, Timothy, be careful. There's going to be a lot of, of false teachers. They're going to try to twist your words. They're going to argue about this and that. And it's going to keep a lot of, of healthy, productive stuff from happening. 
So be, be on guard about that. But boy, there's going to be some godly pursuers. And, and they're going to need to be content in their pursuit of God and, and make sure they just don't follow, 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 and whine, whine, whine. they got, they got to get over themselves, get over their situation, and hold on to him. Now he goes back to the warning. And I would call these the wannabe richers. They just want to be rich. They want to be rich, and then they want to be more wealthy. Verses 9 and 10. And this is as strong of a warning as you're going to hear within this passage. He says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped, trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Not just money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people craving money have wandered from true faith and pierced themselves. He doesn't say uh, found themselves in an unfortunate situation, had a run of bad luck, you know, had several disappointments in life. No, he says they have pierced themselves. They have self-inflicted. They have brought it on themselves if they have elevated money over God. God's not saying you shouldn't have wealth and you shouldn't work hard and all those kinds of things. No, that, that's fine. That just can't be the goal. That can't be the obsession. That can't be the, the thing that you go after so much. Because one thing leads to another. And they find that they get shipwrecked in their faith. Because one lie leads to another. One theft leads to another. One time of cheating when nobody's looking leads to another. And that's, that's an unfortunate thing. So there's this warning that Paul would give to Timothy to give to the early church, to give to us, to make sure that we don't elevate the pursuit of money and the love of money to that point that we wind up compromising our integrity, but we become content. Now, the last group is what I call the step-up pastors, because I, I love this because in this transition this year, I've had an opportunity to work with a few other pastors and, and to be able to encourage some younger guys and just help them think through what's next. Okay, what happens when? Okay, let me tell you a couple things I did wrong, and hey, here's how God blessed, and you know you can't, you know, just, just that kind of encouraging and coaching, very informal, to help them understand that. And I think it calls for a lot of step-up pastors. And I believe there are many pastors, not just on the staff or not just uh, elders that we would have or, or key leaders. I believe there are many small group leaders. And if you're shepherding, if you're encouraging, if you're influencing, if you're coaching, if you're kind of putting your arms around somebody, helping them spiritually take the next step, that's a pastor. That's a shepherd. And Paul says, but you, Timothy, it's going to happen all the way from the top down. You are a man of God. So run, forest run from these things. He said, you gotta know what to run from and you gotta know what to run to. That's what you run from, all those things that idolize money and the pursuit of that. Pursue righteousness in a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Now, this next phrase is probably one of the most critical ones. He says, hold tightly to the eternal life. Would you say that with me? 
hold tightly to the eternal life. He's saying there is something to hold on to. And obviously we hold on to the Lord, to the Word, to let His Spirit hold on to Him in our life and, and God's people. But He says the thing you hold on to in the midst of that that takes us beyond this life is the hope of eternal life. All of our days are numbered. I don't know how many I have. I just hope I get out of the parking lot every day. None of us know, do we? We just, we just don't know. We, we pray for a long life, a healthy life. We pray that God would be gracious to us, but we don't know. So at the end of our life, whenever that is, what are you holding on to? Are you holding on to something behind, some great memories with very few regrets? I did it my way, you know, all that kind of stuff. Or are we holding on to the life that God gives us that's beyond, beyond this life? And Paul says, Timothy, you've got to hold on to eternal life. Eternal life. That will give you perspective. That will help you and I become content. That will help you and I be able to say, you know what, no matter what happens, even the disappointing things come about, I'm going to be okay because I'm going to be with the Lord forever. My past is forgiven. My present makes sense and my future is secure. He said, hold tightly to eternal life that God's called you to, which you've confessed so well before other witnesses. Now, that brings about the next question. That is okay. That's who he's talking to in all of that. Let's try to apply that a little bit and, and, and figure a couple of things out. Then how do I get this in my life? What brings contentment? And I want to take you to just a moment in Romans chapter 1. Because in Romans 1, uh, Paul says you've got to realize how many people are far away from God because they don't want anything to do with God. And he describes how they have traded and exchanged the truth of God for a lie. He says they have worshipped all of creation rather than worshipped the Creator. And he says in verse 19, they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. Now say this last verse with me, if you will. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yeah, let that set for a moment. Because if you've ever wondered why we do multiple services on the weekend and why we try to partner with other mission uh, folks around the world and say, how can we reach as many that we can and develop them so they will reach those around them and send them with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the only hope for eternal life. That's why. Because the Bible says everybody looks at the trees and the stars and the seas and the mountains and all of God's creation. And they see where he's been. They see what he's done. And Paul says, they have no excuse. There's no excused absence on not knowing who God is. So how do we get to that point? 
How do we get to that point of belief, that point of faith, that point of contentment? I think there's a sequence, and it's based on this general revelation of all creation and the specific revelation in the Word of God. And the sequence, I think, it begins with an openness to God. Right now, today, you may not feel like you're open to the idea of God. You may have been hurt in your life, disappointed. It may have been a long time since you've been in church. I don't know what the situation is, and I don't need to know unless you want us to know. But this I do know, if there's a closeness to God, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be hard. You may walk away from here today and say, I don't know, I feel a lot better. I think I'll go back again sometime. And I'm thankful for that. But I'm not worried about you coming back, you know, next weekend. I want you to open the Bible tomorrow. Let God say, all right, what what am I needing to know right now? If there's an openness to God in your heart, we can work with that. The next step is a recognition of God. That, that's what the people talk, Paul talked about to the Romans there. Didn't do. They didn't recognize. They didn't acknowledge God. But if you do, if you cross that line of faith, then all of a sudden there's a gratitude in your heart for what he did, and there's a contentment with what you have. And that will lead to a generosity. But it really takes a step at a time. That's how we become content. How do you stay content? What keeps us content? Question number three. Well, that's a good question. Philippians chapter four. This will have a very famous verse that you'll know really well. I'll have you read with me in just a moment. Let's go through the other verses before we get to that. Paul's telling the Philippians, he said, you know, uh, here's what keeps me content. Not that I was ever in need. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Now say this verse with me. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You have seen that on uh, the locker rooms of many Christian schools all over America, all right? You have seen it on baseball caps. You have heard it at the end of the World Series or any kind of playoff thing like that from whoever wins. But rarely do you hear in the losing dugout or locker room, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that's where Paul is at. See, he's not just saying, I can do all things through Christ. Paul could do all things through Christ. And Paul could do without all things through Christ. He said, I don't have to win here. I may be left for dead, and he was on several occasions. I may be shipwrecked. Nobody may come to see me. They may have thrown stones at me and just thought I was dead and left me alone. He said, but I'm still fine. I'm still content. I've learned what it's like and how important it is to trust God so much that I'm fine with him even if I have nothing else. See, it's a learned secret. He says it's a secret. A lot of people don't want to know that secret. I'd, I'd rather just thank God when we win. Thank God, you know, that we can do all things and, and, and when everything's fine. You see, it's not so much of a disposition. You're not just kind of born that way, a compliant kid. That's nice. Not going to cause much trouble. It has a lot to do with a decision. A decision that you and I make that say God is enough. He's all I really need. And I'm going to be okay with just that. It's a choice that you and I really make. So the next question, okay, how does my contentment get messed up? 
What's going to cut into my life that will take me away from that living close in, in a great, peaceful, loving relationship with God where I'm not whining, where I'm content? You have to look at what God told Cain. He pulls him aside after his offering has been rejected. And if you know that story, uh, his brother Abel had given uh, some of the fat portions of the flocks as an offering to God. And Cain shows up as a farmer with an ear of corn half eaten and throws it up there and says, ah, it's about as good as I can do now. And God does not accept that. (laughs) He says, come back when you really mean it, you know, but I'll take what Abel given me. So Cain is very mad. And God takes the time to come alongside him and have a little one-on-one with him, okay? A little Tony Robbins powerful moment, okay? He, he sneaks in and he just says, hey, Cain, sin desires to master you, but you gotta control it. it. It wants to devour you. You gotta get a handle on it. Don't let it get a handle on you. And I thought many times, how would the Bible read if all of a sudden Cain would have said, I know God, I'm ashamed of myself. Why am I so selfish? Wouldn't it have been something if, if uh, that would have changed? Wouldn't it have been something if Adam and Eve, with the tree of forbidden fruit, if she'd maybe held on to the fruit and just said, hold on just a second, I gotta ask God about this. How would things have read differently? What was the problem with Cain? I think it was the same problem that Joseph's brothers had. They, they put Joseph uh, in, a, in a pit, and then they sold him into slavery, and they kind of left him for dead, basically, but they wanted to make a little money on him. Well, a- after uh, God you know, kind of saves a whole bunch of them and, and sends him off to Egypt, and then he saves all of his people, and, and they're all together, and then dad finally dies, Jacob. Then the brothers who had mistreated Joseph come to him and they say, you know, the last thing the dad said there before he died was uh, make sure and be nice to us, you know, because they knew that he, he would, it would be very natural for him, okay, dad's gone, now you're going to be gone. Kill him. Listen to his response. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save lives of many people. Incredible sense of contentment that God used him, and I don't have to get even. What was Joseph's brother's problem, though? I think the same problem in Hebrews 12, where we're told to work at living in peace with everyone, work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that, no one, that none of you fail to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. I think... I think you and I many times in life allow bitterness when we've been hurt to just taint our contentment and turn our hearts towards either really being mad or feeling really sorry for ourselves. That's why Jesus said in Mark 11, when you're praying, first forgive anyone who's holding a grudge against you so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. I think it's safe to say that resentment kills contentment. It does. At times in my life, I would hate to tell you that that I've held a grudge or I've been upset or I was hurt and I kind of held on to that, couldn't forget it. I've been times that it didn't bother the other person but it just ate me alive. (laughs) And I think resentment is 
one of the things that the devil uses most to derail us in this joyful life of living with God. Now, last question is this. The last question is, how are you really doing? And uh, every time, you know, we'll take a moment to look at God's Word, we need to say, all right, God, what are you telling me? It's good to know that Paul was telling Timothy that uh, that was important for him to do, and, and if he's going to be a pastor, make sure that he does those things. That's great. But what about me? And I would just ask, what about you? How are you doing right now? Because I know we're kind of week-to-week people, aren't we? Day-to-day. Sometimes it's harder than others. So I don't, I don't know if this is an easier time or a harder time. Um, a few weeks ago, they asked me to teach in first and second grade <laughs> all weekend long. <laughs> it prepared me for this last week with Sue Lindo and our grandkids. I uh, had a ball, had a ball. Uh, the message was contentment. <laughs> uh, this, this message originally was going to be on generosity when we talked about it six months ago. And, and Nathan said, Dad, I think, I think we need to really focus and just let that contentment part that's in the text, let it just come on out. I said, you're right. So I think God is beating me up right now with being content, whether it's talking to first grade kids, second grade kids, or, or all of us today. So we got back a few weeks ago from Romania about midnight, got to sleep about two, woke up at five in the morning, and I knew within the next week or two I was going to have to have something for those kids, and I, I had things lined out, but I just ne- needed something, and I thought, you know what, how do we help the kids become content with what God does, how he loves them? And I, I just always kind of think of a song, you know me, I'm kind of stuck there. And all of a sudden, we got to make it easy, easy for them to know God's love. And all of a sudden, it's so easy to know God's love. Just take a look at the stars above. Making things from nothing, that's what he does. It's so easy to know God's love. How many know that I need to send Linda Ronstead a thank you note, okay? Because it's so easy, 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 it's easy, it's so easy, it's so easy, so easy, it's so easy, it's so easy, so easy. Come and celebrate all the things he does. Now help me out on this, ready? Oh, it's so easy to know God's love. Just take a look. At the stars above Making things from nothing That's what he does It's so easy To know God's love Well, we got to make it easy for him, don't we? We really do Be able to say, hey, you guys Oh, no, 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 that's okay Well, go ahead Don't People in the booth know Don't encourage us We'll be here for a while, all right? So that, that can happen That can happen But I tell you that's exactly, that's exactly what God does. He, he, he makes it easy to believe in him, to know who he is. You just got to take a look at the stars above. David says in Psalm 119, he says, Lord, you are my portion. And Hebrew language, that meant you are my inheritance. It means you, you're what I got coming to me, God. But you're all that I got coming. And you're really all that I need. There was a song we used to sing over on Grantline about this time in a service at the end that I think says it as good as any. 
And all of you is more than enough for all of me, for every thirst and every need. You satisfy me with your love, and all I have in you is more than enough. Now, I'd invite you to stand up, but you may leave, so just sing. All of you is more than enough for all of me, for every thirst and every need. You satisfy me with your love, and all I have in you is more than enough. And join us next weekend when in first and second grade, <laughs> and the message on creation might go something like this. It started long ago in the Garden of Eden when Adam said to Eve, baby, you're for me. No, we won't do that, okay? But it would be fun. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend.